Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Mike, we got a show to do. While we do? Is it that time already? (laughs) Yeah, it's that time. Okay. It is time for Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors, a Letterman Tribute podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. Welcome back to uh, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. Uh, a Letterman tribute podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Rusty. Rusty, um, I am having a ton of fun doing these. Um, what uh, What are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to dive into Meryl Marco. She mm. is uh, pretty prolific when it comes to the career of David Letterman. Yeah. You know, as far as one figure goes, I, pretty, I feel like she's the pillar. I think we talked about her as being uh, the co-creator of a lot of the... the, the the bits that go with Letterman, the the stuff that he's iconic for, known for like stupid pet tricks. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, through, through the research, you know, like the late seventies where we're talking about Dave was bouncing around from show to show, you know, doing that kind of thing. She kind of, uh, there wasn't a, you know, it was, it was a scarce bit of information, but she kind of hinted at the fact that she had worked on different shows with Mm -hmm. David Letterman outside of the actual David Letterman show, like a couple of early shows. And, uh, she was actually a part of the uh, Mary Tyler Moore Variety Show that David Letterman oh, wow. and uh, Michael Keaton. Well, huge throngs flocked to Grauman Spanish Theater for the opening of the Carmen Merengue Film Festival this evening. Here with a live report is our own man in the street, Carmen Merengue. Carmen? Thanks, Carmen. What can you say about a Carmen Merengue film, huh? I cheered, I cried, I banged my castanets, I laughed so hard I busted my papayas. But don't take my word. Let's hear someone from the audience. It's just crazy how Mary Tyler Moore plays a part through Letterman's career. Like, she pops up every now and then. And I think Letterman just had the the greatest respect for her. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was what uh, a quote from uh, Meryl Marco about that show. She said that she got to witness a choreographed production number with a young David Letterman and even younger Michael Keaton singing and dancing to the village people's macho man. She said it was almost like she doesn't know if she experienced that or if it was just a feverish dream (laughs) was what she said. So she got to, you know, that's, that's pretty crazy to see something like that and be a part of those things. Even if it was not prolific as far as like historical TV goes, it was still cool. She got to be a part of these foundational things where these people are, you know, testing their chops. That's just, pretty much what it is. Just being in the room, you know? I mean, that's it's a huge deal to yeah, see Letterman even, and Keaton dancing. I didn't even know Michael Keaton had 
like the early career that he had with like some comedic stuff. I had no clue of his yeah, beginnings either. That I, was kind of interesting to see he, him being attached. Like we talk about this web of comedy, right, him being right. woven into that too, and being attached to David Letterman and Michael mm-hmm, Keaton starting mm-hmm. out together. And uh, you know that was before anything David Letterman did talk show wise. A lot of a lot of people don't remember like when when Keaton got Batman. You know everybody was pissed off because uh, they were all like, "How can you cast this comedian?" You know in this role. And that's because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw Keaton do, like, try his hand at stand-up. And then, of course, he had Mr. Mom and shows like that, you know. Uh, it fits very – his his temperament and his style fits very much into that Letterman universe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, you don't really realize until you start doing the research how, how intertwined they were. I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty interesting to see that. I thought that was one of the the neater parts of the research is because, like you said, Batman. Batman Mm. is my first experience with Michael Keaton, period, is Batman. And uh, I never even knew anything about his comedic beginnings. Mm. So I thought him being attached to Meryl Marco and, you know, David Letterman and this whole universe, it was pretty interesting to see that. Uh, So Meryl Marco, you were telling me... Um, she's older than I thought she was. Yeah, she's, so she was born in, you know, August 13th, 48. She okay. was actually born in New York City. Okay. And uh, 48. They wow. kind of moved around a lot. Her dad was a builder and mm. her mom was a librarian. Mm. Uh, so they moved from New York. She was only about three or so, I think, when they left New York. Mm-hmm. They go to Miami for a little while mm. and then they go to California. Right. And that's pretty much where, where all the magic happens. We start with Meryl Marco is yeah. California. Hmm. So, um, how did uh, how did Marco and Letterman hook up? Well, uh, not in that sense, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure on that part. I'm sure he was yeah. a charming guy, sure, uh, handsome young man, yeah. you know, probably probably pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, well, to start, we, I mean, we got to start like her college years, I guess, to like kind of get into mm-hmm. how she ends up in the, the industry period because okay. she doesn't start out in the industry. She doesn't start out with any intentions of being a comedic writer. Right. Uh, she actually starts out as an artist. Oh, okay. Uh, so That's she what starts she went out to college for. Yeah, uh, yeah. So she starts out at uh, Berkeley, uh, University mm. of California at Berkeley, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I'm, I'm just thinking, though, and you, you had told me a little bit before this about how pivotal that time is when she's going to Berkeley in California. Yeah, it's the 60s, you know yeah. what I mean? Because she graduates in 70. Mm-hmm. So she's in there in the late 60s, mid-60s wow. as a teenager in that, that era in California. Which I can't is, even imagine what that was like. Yeah, you mean, you know, Jerry Garcia, the whole counterculture sure. movement. Sure. I mean, yeah. Free Santana. Love, all that stuff, yeah. Any Santana. good music, yeah, yeah, yeah. any good music. I got you, I got you. sure, sure. His sure. music died in 79, so it's any, <laughs> any good when, music. When they had that disco burning at the, the AAA ball club. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. it. That was, that was the <laughs> death of music. All died. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Disco sucks! Disco sucks! Disco sucks! July 12th, 1979. A Twinite doubleheader at Comiskey Park. The White Sox versus the Tigers. Between games, 24-year-old Steve Dahl, a popular disc jockey for Chicago rock station Loop 98, would take the field at the head of his so-called anti-disco army to blow up thousands of disco records. 
Every day I would play a disco record. Um, okay, so uh, she graduates in 1970, and then what? Uh, she goes and fulfills a master's in, oh, okay. in art. So she, right. she graduates again in 72, and then she actually so gets her first teaching job. At this point, she's got a bachelor's and a master's in art? Yes. Wow, okay. And... Uh, that's it. Like she's she's a she's a painter. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. likes to paint and things like mm-hmm. that. That was her specific okay. thing that she liked to do was paint. Okay. Which she would go on later to use her talents. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure when it came out. I want to say it was 2020, but she does uh-huh. a uh, a whole graphic novel of her own. Really? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my mm. head right now. Uh, yeah, somebody's yelling it right now. Yeah, somebody's yelling it. Yeah. So she goes to University of South California, USC. Okay. Okay. She goes down there. Uh, she gets a job teaching freshman life drawing. Mm. And she's also the assistant professor of art while she's down there and all wow. that. So I had no idea about that. Yeah, yeah I didn't I, either. I didn't realize. I, I didn't either. So like, you know, that's where it comes back to. Uh, she was overshadowed by David Letterman and I, like who I, who really has dived into Meryl Marco like sure. as far as like anything past David Letterman. Yeah, I just don't realize that my TV friends have real lives. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. They she actually had a box. life. Yeah, she lives in a box, but uh, I mean, she's responsible for a lot of lot of comedy, a lot of good stuff. So uh, she, I don't think she's fulfilled in this career. Is mm-hmm. by you know that's what I get from 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 my research. She feels like she's not fulfilled, and uh, mm-hmm. so she ends up meeting two unnamed women which, at which this time I, in the industry. I have taught before, and I understand the not being fulfilled part. Absolutely, yeah. and that's yeah. what it was. So she starts auditing classes to try to find this fulfillment again, okay. and she feels like, well, if I'm not able to do my job and teach properly or do it like give the passion I want to mm-hmm. it, I can go at least go and make sure that everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do. Sure, kind of thing. sure. So she starts. Uh, uh, auditing. She's just searching. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much yeah, just soul yeah, searching, yeah, yeah, looking sure. looking for her place, right. looking for her place. So uh, in all this soul searching, she ends up meeting a couple of people, bumping into some people, and uh, she goes on to be a researcher for the head writer of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, mm. which I know nothing about yeah. at all. I've yeah. never heard of it, even though in the research I found out they're reviving the show, Yeah, which Norman you, Lear. You told me that earlier, and I'm yeah. very excited about that, yeah. Yeah, Norman Lear being the creator, he announced that on his 99th birthday. So it was pretty neat. Uh, Mary, I feel like Mary Hartman, cool stuff back. Yeah, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was one of those shows that uh, I have, I don't know that I've seen another show like it since. Um, it was a straight up soup, soap opera, deadpan. I don't believe it had a laugh track or anything like that. I'm, I'm positive it didn't. But it was just some of the weirdest situations with the weirdest actors in it. See that glow? What glow? Do, do you mean the waxy yellow buildup? What do you mean? That can't be a waxy yellow buildup. Read the can. Mary, you're looking at a waxy yellow buildup. No, I'm not. I am looking at a label that says that can't be. Mary, I am your sister. And I'm telling you, it's not a waxy buildup there. It's a waxy buildup there. You know, these people, I mean... They turn out about a million cans a week. I mean, who am I supposed to listen to? You? Waxy yellow buildup. It was great. It was great. It wasn't like anything else that Norman Lear had done. You know, Norman Lear was was uh, known for his um, his situation comedies and those situation comedies having very special episodes and, you know, all of that sort of thing, like Facts of Life, you know. Yeah, All in the Family, that kind of feels yeah. to it and everything. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, that takes us to about. But she was a writer. On yeah, Mary yeah, Hartman. yeah. She became a writer, wow. so that's where she segues 
from art to writing, and it's kind of comical to her. She's like, "Well, I'm I'm getting I'm getting jobs mm-hmm. just doing this, mm-hmm. and I don't have to teach. Yeah, and I'm sure. making I'm making surviving. You know, what sure. I mean? I mean, yeah. At this time, they're just scraping by, sleeping on a mattress on the floor in a mm-hmm. apartment in Hollywood, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, so about this time, you it, it's about seventy seven around this time, and she bumps into somebody else who was uh, a writer or producer or something of. Uh, I can't remember the the actor's name. Freddie Prince. There was a show he did, Chico. Yeah, Chico and the Man. Chico and the Mm -hmm. Man. So she meets somebody that's affiliated with Chico and the Man, an intern, maybe. I think it was an intern. Freddie Prince was a funny guy. Very funny. Troubled, but very funny. Yeah. uh, He ends up committing suicide. I know Junior. Mm-hmm. From Scooby Doo, yeah. So from yeah, Scooby Doo, yeah, Scooby yeah, Doo, yeah, yeah. I got you. Sure. And he was in, uh, wasn't he in a, one of those? He's been in a bunch of stuff, yeah. Like nine two one zero kind of shows, was something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know him. Oh, Buffy, Buffy, maybe. I think it was yeah. maybe any of those. Yeah, yeah. Again, somebody's yelling at us. Right yeah, now, absolutely. That's what, what I'm actually saying. <laughs> Yeah, so Marco at this point she is uh, she's written for Mary Hart and Mary Hartman. Now she ends up meeting somebody associated with Freddie Prinze, which takes her into uh, the revival of Laugh In, uh-huh. which I know nothing about Great that idea. either. <laughs> so they try to revive yeah. that in '77 yeah. using Robin Williams as the lead guy. So gotcha. there goes the web of comedy. Mm-hmm. At this time, this is I want to say. Predates Mork and Mindy, maybe, but I could. Oh be yeah, wrong. it definitely does. Yeah, because I'm not absolutely. sure when Mork and Mindy started. Mork and Mindy's 80s, right? Mork and Mindy was 80s. I think it maybe started 78, 79, okay. maybe 80s. So this is 77. So yeah. this is probably mm-hmm. right is before, before yeah. Happy Days when Mork <laughs> makes the appearance on Happy Days, and then they start yes, his own show. Very much so. So this is probably around that time then. Okay, so getting to work with Robin, a young Robin mm-hmm. Williams, right before he catapults, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is pretty. That I mean, that's that web again that we talk about yeah. in comedy. Yeah. Uh, and all these uh, these attachments everywhere. It just, happened, it's, to me. It just yeah. happened to be like it's crazy. Two of the most iconic, like sh- like an iconic show and mm-hmm. then an iconic comedian. <laughs> Wednesday, here's laughing with Robin Williams, Mike Sinatra, James Garner, Flip Wilson, and Cindy Williams. Sell my clothes, I'm going to heaven. And then you again, we talked. You talked about uh, it. It does feed that whole notion of I'm going to get on a bus, go to Hollywood, and I'll be discovered, kind of thing. You know, yeah, it, absolutely. It very much feeds yeah, it that. All of a sudden, that. I'm working with Robin Williams. Yeah, it does feed that. But yeah. I think that was that era. Sure. I, I yeah. Don't, I don't think that exists yeah. in the same space anymore. Guns and Roses ruined that. Yeah. Know, <laughs> when they had that video where the girl gets off the bus and everything, yeah, everybody absolutely. was like, oh, I don't want to meet Slash anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to bump into him either. Actually. So, uh, <laughs> Stupid. so like you were saying about Michael Keaton getting the role of Batman, yeah. for me, Robin Williams and any comedic guy that goes into a serious role, mm-hmm. I feel like they do it well. Like mm. you've had these, like Jim Carrey goes and does like, like serious roles. Yeah. And I really like seeing the comedy guys go out and do serious roles like Patch Adams for Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite ones. Patch Adams. And Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. And he did more dramatic stuff, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yes. He did more dramas than Good I feel Hunting, like a lot of comedians do. Robin Williams yeah. did. And I think that was, again, the duality of himself mm-hmm. where he was Even battling. Good Morning Vietnam, honestly, is more of a serious role than, yeah, it is. than yeah, a comedic yeah, role. Absolutely. Yeah, no, they, you know, they, the, the old adage is that comedy's hard, you know, death is easy or whatever it is. Yeah, Dan, yeah. Please feel free to yell at your your podcast player um 
I think that once these guys get comedy timing down, anything's doable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and his comedic timing was. I feel like Robin Williams' comedic timing is above anything mm-hmm. and anybody yeah. that has existed. He's well, you look so at, great. You look at Jim Carrey. He made the movie, um, well, the num- number one, the one about Andy Kaufman, which is fantastic. Oh, Man on the Moon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then before that, he made the one about the the old movie theater. And I can't remember the name of it. Again, yell it at us, please. The Majestic. Um, and then you just, you just start looking at comedians. Adam Sandler was Spanglish. I mean, oh, he did eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah, that was a really good absolutely. one. That's one absolutely. of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I just think these guys are, are able to make this transition because comedy is so difficult. Yeah. Well, and comedy comes from, it comes from two different places. It comes from darkness and it comes from light too. It's true. Like they pull, yeah. they pull from different things and each one of them has troubled experiences that you could, I don't know a comedian that's funny that hasn't had a bad, bad troubled experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you've got like new age comics, you've got Pete Davidson, whose dad died mm-hmm. in nine 11. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, they pull from that. And yeah. I, I think those experiences and against that duality of man or whatever, and mm-hmm. they pull, they pull it out so well. And again, you know, you have tragic stuff like Robin Williams and sure. the Belushi yeah. and just all of the, you know, uh, Farley, mm-hmm. all these, twisted comics that have oh, yeah. all these problems they were such buffoons and they made it look so easy but it's because they had such tragedy and just yeah. darkness in their yeah. life that they were trying to overcome yeah and then even david letterman has that he has that 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 that's that confidence problem his entire life where he feels like he's never oh, good yeah. enough for what yeah. he's doing and uh and let me tell you rusty this is this podcast has become a laugh riot as we're talking about all the suicides <laughs> and stuff it's great it is well you know you got to get into it you got to get into it with comedy you yeah, have to get gotcha. you have to get a little bit into some of the grittier stuff all right so so we're we're rebooting laugh in which laugh in was such an iconic show uh, i don't think it was on for that long honestly in the early 60s um but it was it was all built around counterculture so it was, let's make fun of Nixon. Let's, let's talk about dope. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, it was all like pushing that envelope. Smothers brothers were involved who Smothers brothers. I don't know if you know about them, but they, they got in trouble several times by especially network executives who said, you can't do that on TV, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They, yeah. they would get in big trouble. Laugh in was no, um, was no exception. And if, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think Mel Brooks was involved in the original Laugh In. Um, some bigger names, some bigger yeah, comedy absolutely. names yeah. as first-time writers and stuff like that. Maybe Woody Allen. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they do the Laugh In revival. There's funny. There's a little bit of drama behind that. They didn't mm. even actually have the uh, creative rights to even create that show. Oh, really? So the original creators of the show sued them, and they ended up winning four point like six million dollars from it. Actually, which at that time was was, was a billion chunk bucks of change, or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. was a chunk of yeah. change in that yeah. time. So that leads us into about seventy eight, and that's okay. when the Mary Tyler Moore show is about. Sure. And uh, is that when the Mary Tyler Moore show started? around that time? Like was the around good Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, uh, the the variety oh, show. Oh, this is the variety Mary. show. Mary, oh, that's right. You know what? Mary. I get her and Carol Burnett mixed up all the time with the variety shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so okay. many of them in that, in that yep. time frame for sure. Oh yeah, Red Fox had one. Oh, everybody, everybody had, had one. one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Captain and Tail with guest stars Lou Rawls, Leo Sayer, special guest star John White. Special appearance by Abe Pagoda. 
ladies and gentlemen, the Captain Antonio. So, yeah, you get that, the Mary Tyler Moore Variety Show, and that's where she kind of meets Dave. She meets Dave there in kind of the comedy store, mm-hmm. so they're kind of seeing each other in the comedy store a few times. They've kind of seen each other, and then 78 is about where their relationship, I think, starts, because they comedy were together store. from 78 to, I think, 88. Comedy store was so pivotal in all of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Comedy store, and then the improv, too, in, in New York. Yeah. They were two huge, yeah. huge farms, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even, AAA uh, clubs, basically, yeah, you, that you pulled from, yeah. Because uh, even uh, Andy Kaufman was there, too. Mm-hmm. He was on the improv. You mm-hmm. know, you got a lot of the spillover. A lot of the guys that were popping off in L.A. were flying out to New York. And yeah, sure. You got the David Letterman show now in New York. So yeah. there was a place to go. And people, you know, it was a, a draw to to that city for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And that's when comedy kind of got split between the two cities. Because uh, I feel like a lot of great comedy at that time was just coming out of L.A. And then, boom, you started to get New York, started to kind of fire off with Saturday Night Live and sure. stuff like that in the late 60s and the early 70s and mid-70s. Yeah. And then, uh, so that leads into the morning show. Good morning. I'm William Qualls, security officer at NBC for five years. I'm supposed to welcome the David Letterman Show to NBC and to remind you all to carry your NBC identification with you at all times. I don't know who David Letterman is. I don't care who David Letterman is. If he doesn't have his ID card, I'm going to have to shoot him. It's the David Letterman Show, live with Valerie Bromfield, Edie McClure, Bob Sarlacc, Edwin Newman with NBC News, and Frank Owens and the David Letterman Symphony Orchestra. Plus David's guests, Jeff Greenfield, Esther Satterfield, John and Keiko Alpert, and Hester Mundes. Right. And she's now the head writer of... She's the head writer of the David Letterman Show. Uh, the foundation of the DNA of the everything that we would, you know, be discussing for the next, you know... 30 to 60 years. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and, and you know, we, we talked about the morning show in the last episode. I didn't realize all the writers that were on that. Like you had Rich Hall, you had her, you had uh, Gerard Butler. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's a lot of later. great writers. It, you know what? <laughs> this it seems so weird, but the the uh, thing that I, I really coveted when I watched, so I watched a clip. Uh, which is what our life is made up of now. Not full shows, just clips. Just clips, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've watched a full episode of anything in, in weeks. <laughs> That's right. It's been a long time. Um, so uh, I watched this clip. It was when they knew that the David Letterman show, the morning show, was going to be canceled. And uh, they were like, okay, well, screw it. Let's yeah, just throw everything freedom. at the wall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they did uh, stupid writer tricks. And these stupid writer tricks were basically, it was Merrill's idea. Uh, to bring out the writers and they would present a joke or a situation or whatever that Letterman had turned down yeah. in the past. That's actually the last episode that you're talking about. That was, oh, the, is it on that, the, last that was episode? the final episode okay. of the show, yeah. Well, um, Marco comes out in a sweatshirt that literally just has block letters, but it says The David Letterman Show. And I thought, oh, my God, I want one of those shirts. Yeah, <laughs> it just awesome. says The David yeah, Letterman Show awesome. in block letters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if any of those exist from the 80s, 80s TV show. those had to be oil rags a long time ago. Yeah, you probably know. so. You know, they got paint all over them or something, yeah, something somewhere. Like that, yeah. There's one in a corner somewhere. <laughs> Dog Rotten in on a landfill it. somewhere, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Anyway, those uh, the writers would come out, and uh, well, you've probably got more between that and that, though, right? Go ahead if you've got something else. Oh, between uh, like when the morning show started and when it ended. 
uh, between the morning show started and when it ended. Yeah. Uh, well, there's nothing really like huge or hitting at that point. Now it's just them just going through the motions of the the morning show and trying out material, uh, trying out material, and then like I said, just like uh, pretty much making the 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 foundations or the mm. DNA of what would be late the night. NBC late night show. Yeah, yeah. So it's all foundational stuff with stupid pet tricks, stupid rider tricks, yeah. the remote location shot stuff yeah. that they do, yeah. which would again, you know, she would even take that further on later on, oh, which yeah. we'll get to. So, and, uh, so they brought out all these writers one at a time. Uh, there was one guy and I can't remember his name. He wasn't familiar to me, but he came out with a big gap in his teeth and told a joke, you know, um, rich hall came out and told a thing about the statue of Liberty and he had a little prop with him. Uh, Gerard Butler came out and I do not remember his joke necessarily. I just remember going, Oh crap, that's Gerard Butler yeah, who would go on to be on Letterman all the time, especially with Chris Elliott. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was one of the, the big guys on the yeah. show that he had a lot. I, again, like I told you earlier, I, I think I thought that, that Gerard was just this guy who worked on the staff, like Biff Henderson or somebody, you know, yeah, I didn't but realize no, he, he was, was actually one of the writers. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the writers and a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Marco comes out and she, she goes, you know, Dave, I thought that uh, what might have saved this show is if we had more sex and violence on the show. And he goes, okay. And so she she busts out. She's got this table, and she has a Playboy, and she goes, okay, here, and just gives it like a quick, quick, like half-second peek into the Playboy. And then she goes, okay, and for the ladies, she's got a Playgirl, and she just goes, whoop, whoop, you know, just real quick, and shows it to the audience. And then she steps aside and says, okay, now for the violence – she steps to the side, she lets a rope loose, and a big sandbag comes down and just destroys the table and the magazines and everything that was on it. And she goes, there's your sex and violence. <laughs> I thought it was just fantastic. I mean, yeah, it good. was just deadpan. Deadpan you know, dry. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. great. You know, every show has writers, and uh, since this show began in June, our diligent writing staff has been cranking out brilliant comedy concepts. <laughs> but now that time has run out. It's obvious we won't get to all of them, particularly these which you're going to see, which I vetoed early on. Now, ladies and gentlemen, doing their own material that I rejected, welcome to the first and only installment of Stupid Writer Tricks, Our Writers, ladies and gentlemen. And now the uh, only female member of our writing staff, our head writer, Meryl Marco. Right from the beginning, it was my contention. I read the NBC research, and if we would have had more sex, more violence on the show, I think we would have done better right from the start. Sex and violence? Sex and violence, and so I would like to share a little sex and violence. See, it's still early. We still have uh, 25 minutes, 25 maybe, minutes. Maybe the show will turn be on it, after Turn all. it right turn around. Turn it right around. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, February. And for the gals. January. Whoa! Maybe you've got something there. And for everyone else. A little violence now? for the entire family. Some violence, ladies and gentlemen. First and only installment of Stupid Rider Tricks. We'll be right back with our final. That had to be another thing. They they had to look at this and go, you know, yeah, this is our sense of humor, but 
will anybody else laugh at this stuff? Well, they you got know? two Emmys out of it. Don't yeah. forget that oh, that show, true. even though the ratings failed, like it still was prolific enough to hit the Emmys. So. Can you imagine going into something and you just created this thing on, uh, which had to be kind of a whim, you know, and, and you're, you're throwing this stupid humor at the wall, uh, which would become the foundation for probably most of eighties humor. Uh, and people go, yeah, well, guess what? We think it's so good. We're going to give you an, an Emmy. And then they go, oh, and by the way, we're canceling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's Hollywood for you. It That's Hollywood no for you. Whatsoever. It makes no sense. No, no, no sense whatsoever. <laughs> you know, and and uh, and that becomes like a big point in their relationship is mm-hmm. this failed show and yeah. uh, that's all he could obsess about even though at the height of his success you know he's he's the guy on tv mm-hmm. at, at the height of his success he is mm-hmm. just a known guy you know everybody knows who he is he can't walk anywhere without being known and he still battled even you know to the very oh, yeah. almost to the last moment of not being good enough. Oh, the ratings aren't good enough. I don't have high enough numbers. Depression, you know, doubt, the whole thing. You know, yeah, like we absolutely. were talking about with the other comedians. Yeah. So at this yeah. point, are they in a um, uh, relationship? Uh, I think their relationship has started by this point. Yeah, like the early beginnings of the relationship. And they were live in okay. boyfriend and girlfriend for a decade. So okay. the decade starts around this time, you know, 78. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they do the show and then they go on to do late night and mm-hmm. and I don't want to really touch too much on late night and the morning yeah, show because you. Sure. you know this is her her yeah. her story yeah, it's so all about her. so she goes on she does these shows they mm-hmm. win a ton of Emmys mm-hmm. uh, she gets Emmys personally for her writing and then they as a whole get Emmys too you know what yeah. I mean so her Emmy counts only four to her name but there was more Emmys involved in that yeah but uh, think about that J- only four only Come on. four uh, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. only four yeah. only four you know only four Emmys yeah that's but, amazing but, and, as, and as a writer too that's prolific to be mm-hmm. a writer and have multiple multiple Emmys just, absolutely. just for what you're doing with a pen and a piece of paper so yeah. and the winner is the writing team from The Late Night with David Letterman remarks brief here tonight make sure we save plenty of time for other imposters who may be in the audience um, I want to I thank the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences we're, we're in the science division and um, it is science huh? yeah. uh, I'd like to thank the uh, the friendly folks at NBC the people behind the miracle of stereo television now um, I, uh, I know this is a writing award, but I'm, I'm going to take a second here to thank uh, other people involved with the show because I, I have a feeling we're finished for the night. Um, <laughs> I want to thank uh, everybody on the 14th floor. You're terrific folks, and I look forward to coming to work with you. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jack Rollins, Barry Sand, Hal Gertner, Gurney, our director, uh, Paul Schaefer, my good friend, our musical director, Bill Wendell, uh, Robert Morton, Kathy Vassipoli, Sandra Furton, and please hold your applause till the list is complete. Um, also, my thanks to uh, Barbara Gaines and Jude Brennan, everybody on the sixth floor, uh, Kathy, Dan, and Jeremy, and uh, one last thing, the CBS Late Movie is not really a movie. Thank you very much. (laughs)
What a uh, dream, man. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and this wasn't just... and this wasn't her goal. Like she yeah. just fell into this. She's an kind art of major. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Art major who thought she was gonna be a teacher. Like, oh yeah, I can write too. Fell into it. Yeah. <laughs> and she's really a good writer. I've read a read oh, quite yeah. a bit of her writing yeah. since then. And she's man, she's she's I really funny. I didn't realize she had written so many books. I yeah, mean, I've she's... seen every appearance on 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 Letterman, but but I didn't realize she had written so many books, or I didn't remember that yeah, she had Yeah, no, so many she books. has a healthy set of books. She's done she's done quite a few for mm-hmm. sure. And when you look on YouTube also, she's appeared on a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, absolutely. A lot more than I ever thought. Yeah, and uh, I've got a list of a few things that that, uh, cool. that I'll touch on too. I'm, that she's I'm getting been ahead into. of it, but go no, ahead. No, no, you're good. You're great. Yeah. We're we're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling <laughs> through it. No, she's she's a fascinating person for sure. Yeah. So uh she kind of gets into this feeling uh you know you got to think at this point that her and dave have been together for a good long while i'm sure there's been a lot of struggles mm-hmm. yep. there, there's been you know the show has been the focus of their relationship yeah uh i'm sure that's all they talked about it i'm was sure just that was eating, eating breathing sleeping you know whatever the show was at the time yeah and 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 you know then she became conflicted of of, of what a good wife is mm-hmm. and who i should be for mm-hmm. him and who he's supposed to be mm-hmm. for me and yeah. you know and if you look back and you look at the relationship that he starts, that where his son comes from, it overlaps his relationship with Meryl Marco oh, does it? a little bit. Yeah. So, and she addresses that in one of her uh, essays in the mm-hmm. book. I want to say the book is called Calm, Cool, and Contentious. Mm-hmm. No, it's called Cool, Calm, and Contentious. Okay. I got that flipped. Somebody okay, screamed. so yeah. yeah, somebody screamed again. <laughs> so in that, in that, she has the essay called Bobby. Which is yeah. a pseudonym for Dave, and she yeah. did, and she explores that entire relationship and the dynamic of seeing his face plastered everywhere after they split up, and yeah. how she did not want to live in his shadow forever, and that's God. why she leaves the show, which she was quoted directly as saying that I love it so much. It shows her writing chops for sure. Sure, sure. She had plumbed the depths of her ability to invent offbeat comedic <laughs> ideas for acerbic, witty white hosts in <laughs> suits, and she refused to be haunted. For uh, she used to be haunted, or sorry, she was haunted by the fear that uh, she would only ever, if she died that moment, that she would only ever be known for stupid pet tricks. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, that's got to be hanging over your head that you you came up with three words. Yeah, and that was it. (laughs) And for her, it was like came up with three words for somebody else, for somebody else at that. Yeah, exactly. So she was living in his shadow, no matter how much of it was like her. (laughs) He was the guy who had the final say, no matter what jokes came across the table, because at the end of the day. It's a one act show. It's a one sure. man show, yeah. and he's the face and the yeah. name. Yeah. So uh, even though her <laughs> jokes were all over it, and she had such an injected influence in that creation of that show, yeah. it wasn't hers. At the end of the day, she wasn't the one on fr- the, the front stage. Can you imagine breaking up with somebody and then just seeing them everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's like the world didn't stop. The world doesn't understand that we just broke up. The world doesn't understand that I'm haunted by this face. That yeah. I see everywhere. And it was like this surreal reality that she's now facing. <laughs> she's in this sur- surreality. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just so crazy. weird for her. It's nuts. So to kind of explore her own, she wants to go out on her own. She yeah. kind of takes this local news job with channel 13 in LA and uh, she starts this uh, a lifestyle reporter, yeah. and it's a show called Merrill's L.A., right, which right. ends up being a uh, biweekly remote segment that she does. Yeah, and uh, I watched one of those on uh, on YouTube the other yeah. day, and it was one where she visits this. Uh, it's kind of like a cafeteria. Uh, it's in the middle of L.A., and you go inside, and there's there's like these fake mountains and trees and goats and all this all this fake stuff around and she's just interviewing all these people. And the only thing that struck me was 
this is a Letterman segment. It just has no laugh track. You yeah, know, that's, absolutely. That's, that's, that's all what it, it felt was. like. Yeah. And uh, one that I watched, uh, she said uh, it was about detectives. Mm-hmm. She had researched and called a few against the <laughs> L.A. detectives. And it was funny because she starts out and says, uh, the police. No, why would I call the police? <laughs> if I'm in trouble, I'm going to call a detective. Sure. And then she opens the Yellow Pages. <laughs> From the yellow pages, uh, you know what I mean. She said, <laughs> she "I'm going like to call it to the yellow pages." From yeah. the yellow pages, yeah. And then it's just this real deadpan. And then uh, kids, uh, kids, uh, the yellow pages were a thing where you would look up businesses and call. Oh yeah, them yeah, before. yeah, yeah. It's pre Google. Right. Yeah, it's That's right. Uh, it's the yellow yeah. pages. Uh, yeah, before we had white pages and yellow pages. Yeah, I, I barely vaguely remember that. Mm. We well, actually, I do remember yellow pages. We did have them, but we didn't ever use them. The thing I love about this show is you make me feel as old as dirt. I appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing my best here. I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> I feel like an archivist. You know, I'm. Well, it's well, good. The, the, you bring the, a wealth of knowledge. The phone book, boys and girls, was. <laughs> Let's say I'm in trouble, big trouble, real big trouble. Who am I going to go to? The cops? Yeah, the cops will never believe me. I know. I'm going to look up detectives in the yellow pages. I do not accept cases on the phone. The average person uh, that has to go to the yellow pages to call a private eye doesn't have any money to begin with, usually. I'd listen to what you had to say. I would analyze what you said. And then I would speak to you about your problem. If I thought you needed a psychiatrist, I would refer you to one of those. These are a few of the more than four pages of private investigators listed under detectives in the Los Angeles phone directory. Hey, some people might need to know what it is. It might true. save their life one it's day. True. They still, they save still give their them out. Life. They still How? give them out. Like they still dish them <laughs> no, out for whatever you know, reason. It always strikes me so weird when I come home and there's a freaking phone book in my on my sidewalk or something. Yeah. They're so tiny now. They're like these little tiny phone books because nobody throw, lists with them anymore. No, and they throw them at you in a bag, and you know I can't imagine. So there's a couple of jobs in the world that I wouldn't want to do. One is throwing phone books at people's houses. Yeah. And two is throwing newspapers at people's houses. It's littering. Yeah. yeah it's, it should be littering. It, yeah, they littering, should be fine. It's littering and nobody wants it. Yeah, nobody wants it anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsors. So yeah, so yeah, she does this lifestyle reporting, and uh, man, it's just it's super yeah, hilarious. Yeah. It ends up uh, so L.A. Magazine calls it the most disturbing lifestyle reporter to hit the tube <laughs> in some time, which she takes as a proud moment. Yeah, she I would like too. relishes in this this uh, this nonsensical show that she gets yeah. to do, and and she loves it. Like it's just an exploration in herself, and sure. she gets to do this, and like I, I feel like she's starting to feel that fulfillment. You know, and she's getting her to career. do it by herself. Yeah, yeah, by herself. Is fantastic. And it's her, it's her show, Meryl's I bet L.A. she wrote, produced everything. I mean, she did everything on this show. Yeah, I imagine she had a lot of... I mean, lot of, the lot segments of were only on. like, you know, three to five minutes or whatever. They weren't Yeah, they long, weren't huge at all. But but they were just really well done. They were damn funny. Yeah, yeah. they were damn yeah. funny for sure. So uh, she kind of, at this point, uh, this is where her career kind of <laughs> goes off on its own and she starts doing kind of all kinds of different things. So. Right. She was an on-air reporter for Michael Moore's TV Nation. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, uh, I've never even heard of that. I didn't. Only thing I know Michael Moore from is Fahrenheit 9/11 and all the consp- all the crazy yeah. movies that he's done. Welcome to Appleton, Minnesota. Like so many farm towns in America these days, it's struggling through hard times. But unlike many places, the citizens here figured out a plan for their salvation. 
the Prairie Correctional Facility, an ultra-modern state-of-the-art prison funded by private investors and in the city of Appleton to help revive the local economy. You've worked at other correctional institutions yes. before. How does this one differ from other ones you've worked at? There are no inmates. Michael Moore, uh, you know, the first one was uh, Roger and Me. Okay. Which was about uh, Roger... Uh, yelled at your radio. Um, anyway, the guy who ran GM. And since Michael okay. Moore is from Detroit, he did this whole mockumentary, documentary, satirical thing on the guy, trying to get him to meet up with him so he could ask him about why he decimated Detroit by pulling out all the auto industry stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I remember, cool. I remember going to see that in a theater. And uh, part of the deal, even in our little town here, was that they had one seat in the theater roped off for Roger. Just in case he showed up. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, it was that's, pretty nice. That's pretty yeah, funny. It was pretty yeah. great. That's pretty but, funny that it, they the continuity of that yeah. being in a small town in yeah. Texas that they still they, they still had the seat it, for. Apparently, him. they did it everywhere. That's everywhere funny. it showed. Yeah, that's it was great. great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something you wouldn't see these days. No, no, I mean no, that, no. that that kind of follow that, through. That, is that would be the viral campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That, it was viral before viral. Was yeah, viral. absolutely. Um, but uh, I remember TV Nation coming on. I think it was after Roger and Me. I think it was before Columbine and before. Fahrenheit and all that stuff. Because uh, Michael Moore got a little too, I don't know, far passionate uh, yeah, yeah. for he me got, or whatever. Yeah, he, right? yeah, he did. He got a little, little yeah, crazy with yeah, it. Yeah, he got a little nuts. But uh, when he had the TV Nation thing on, it was uh, it was basically the Roger and me, but in two or three different segments in a, in a TV show. I think the thing was an hour long, and it had two or three different segments. And I just remember there was one segment that I will go to my – deathbed remembering um it was about a thing called i always get the name wrong i think it's called friends for life or lifelong friends or something like that but it was here in this town that we're in is where it was uh originated oh okay and the, the whole premise behind this thing and the reason he was looking into it was that what they did is they bought up insurance policies and they paid pennies on the dollar so oh, wow. if you had aids they would buy your insurance policy, pay you half of what it's worth, wait for you to die, and then cash it in. Investment brokers all across the country have discovered a brand new way to make a killing. AIDS. If I told you that I could take your money and double it, but in the process somebody would have to die, nobody would be killed. I mean, they're going to die anyways. What would you say to that? Anybody I know? Nobody you know, total stranger. He was going to die anyways. Probably. Maybe. I don't want to invest in the Reaper. Oh, wow. Yeah, what yeah. a great business, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like they're making a ton of money. They were making a ton of money, yeah. and that was one of the problems. They were like, okay, you're making hand problem. over fist, and these people are just dying. You're just waiting for them to die. Yeah, it's... Grim, Grim Reaper, Inc. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Yeah, and then, uh, so, at the same time around this time... Uh, She's actually attached to not necessarily the news, which was an HBO production. Yep. Uh, I guess that was another satirical news show. Again, not necessarily the news is one of those that that I do remember coming on, but only after I was I was uh, reminded by YouTube that it was a thing. Yeah. Um, I remember Rich Hall being on it, Elaine Boozler. I did not remember that Marco was the host, but she was. Yeah, she was attached to it I for think writing she was too. Head writer yeah, too. She was right? one of the yep. writer, one of the writers. I'm not sure if she was the head writer, but it uh, it could be. But I, yeah. she definitely wrote on it. And she was. Great on Thanks, Annabelle. And remind me to find out what it is you use to make your hair do that. 
Welcome to the section of the show where we discuss things of concern to women. And this week, here's kind of a different topic. Our topic is men. Who are they? What do they want? And exactly what do they mean by that behavior? Yeah, absolutely. And around this same time, she wrote, uh, she did articles for Rolling Stone, Time Magazine, New York Women, mm -hmm. uh, New York Times, uh, L.A. Times. And uh, she even wrote for TV shows. Oh, wow. Yeah, she wrote for uh, Newhart. Uh, Newhart? Yeah. Like, uh, not the Bob Newhart show, but the new Newhart. Yeah, the new Newhart or whatever. She did that. One, uh, of, one, of, one of the greatest endings in TV history. Yeah, I've never, I've never even seen that show. Oof. Never heard of it. Oh, uh, Moonlighting, I never heard of either. She was really? attached to it. Yeah. She wrote for Moonlighting? Yep. And Sex in the City she wrote, wrote for. I think she might have wrote an episode or two for each one or something like that. I don't think she was, like, affiliated with them, like, in, in their entirety. But so you I can see me, a couple episodes. You can see me, like, spark up whenever you mention those things. Like, yeah, yeah. The no, Bob, good. Bob Newhart show was the greatest one of the greatest shows ever uh he was a psychiatrist in new york and uh, he just had these kooky patients you know and all this stuff and kooky neighbors and things but it was just bob newhart's delivery right just the the dryness of his delivery so it very much fits her writing style yeah yeah absolutely dry and then later in the 80s he started something just called newhart where he was an innkeeper in maine again yellow chair yellow chair radio um, I think it was Maine, but anyway, he was this innkeeper and had kooky neighbors and people that stayed there and all this stuff. Yeah. And then not to, not to be a real spoiler here, uh, but, uh, at the end of the new heart show, the very last episode, he wakes up in bed and he's had a nightmare and he's back in the old Bob Newhart show bed with his original wife and goes, I had this crazy dream where I was managing this, this, uh, this inn in Maine and stuff. It was the greatest thing. Ever. Yeah. That that's pretty funny. It was fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. So she also, I like the rabbit holes. That's yeah. what, that, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So, uh, she ends up playing in the second episode of Friends, and like she does these like little bit pieces where she's she here and there. She was an actor on the second episode of Friends. Yeah. 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 Uh, I can't remember exactly who she played, but I think it had something to do with the curator of a museum or something in the <laughs> okay. second episode yeah, of Friends. Speaking to her history. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, her brother actually, uh, he... Uh, because Ross was a like a paleontologist or something, and so he was always in those museums and stuff, and yeah, I absolutely. see her fitting in that. Yeah. yeah, and then her brother ends up being, uh, his name is uh, Dr. Glenn Marco, and he was actually a, a doctor of archaeology. Her oh, brother wow. was. And I think that's what's funny about that, that her bit that she plays in that show, art being a curator, life. Yeah, yeah. art imitating life. Yeah. Uh, so through the God, 90s that's and fantastic. stuff. What, what a career she's had already. Oh, yeah. But bef before anything, yeah, yeah. she's already written for a bunch of great, you know, yeah. prolific magazines and, you know, stuff like that. Congratulations, Meryl Marco. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, she wanted to make her own stamp. She was, yeah. uh, I mean, even though it wasn't as big as the David Letterman show, obviously, she still yeah. got to make her stamp in life. And that's one thing that she attributes uh, was women helping women. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the women that helped her segue into this writing career, uh, Otherwise, might and I got the opportunity, you know what I mean? And yeah, her having such a absolutely. unique name being Meryl, it was ambiguous to people that were looking to hire her. They had seen her comic writing, whatever the mm -hmm. interview process uh, took. So she she submits these writings and stuff, and they're like, oh, well, this person's hilarious. Let's bring yeah. him in. And, you know, back in Hollywood, it was a very, you know, 
stodgy place. It was sure. it was male driven, yeah. uh, very misogynistic. It's a boys club. Yeah, absolutely boys yeah. club. And 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 you had to be a really funny woman to get into the yeah. boys club, and you had to be really raunchy. Joan Rivers, you know what I mean? Sure. She was really raunchy. Sure. Uh, she had to play her part to be able to get into that that uh, that atmosphere. Yeah. So. It's crazy, isn't it? To it's think insane. about that now. Yeah. yeah, to think about now that like take somebody like Lucille Ball or or uh, uh, Joan Rivers, and they have to modify themselves so much just to fit in, just to fit in to be able to get a job. Yeah, it's and, crazy. And they actually, you know, they leave a mark. Yeah, they leave a good. You can't say that Joan Rivers didn't leave a little bit oh, of a no. mark. The she red carpet stuff mark. was yeah. in, like her red carpet stuff is like. Yeah. Supreme. Well, and then her and her daughter doing stuff together. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Even, even her show was funny. I mean, she had a talk show on Fox. Yeah, that, she's not unfunny ever. That, that yeah, did not make it, but uh, she was. That's she not, was a funny that, person. That has nothing to do with her. I don't think no. not making it. I don't think that has no. anything to do with Barry Sands being the producer. Nope. I don't think it has anything nope. to do with any of that. All good names. I think it just had to do with Fox was brand new. They were trying everything, and nobody was watching. That again, and then the misogynistic nature of the industry well, too, too. I think probably yeah. probably factored into it. You know, yeah. and Meryl Marco overcomes that, and it's just based upon her name and her talent. Mm-hmm. So she she navigates in a way that a lot of women weren't able to mm-hmm. at that time, which uh, she attributes again women helping women to get yeah. her into this, which she would have never been a writer otherwise. Breaking into it with with the early stuff with Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and then the Laugh In. Absolutely, you so, know, uh, just just one aside. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, uh, one of the things I love the most about the Meryl Marco appearances I've watched is just how much she talks about her dogs, too. Hi, and welcome to my home. This is my dog, Lewis. He's just three months old, which is, I think, 150 of our years. I, I never understood how that worked exactly. Anyway, this is a very special time in his life. For instance, the other day, he drank out of the toilet for the first time. <laughs> it's a very, very beautiful moment. And this week, I saw him watching television for the first time. It was a monkey special on PBS. See how cute it is to watch him do this? Aww. That's when it occurred to me that dogs are an important demographic sample. For yuppie pet owners such as myself, it's so darn cute to watch your dog watch TV that if there were more shows that I thought he'd watch, I'd probably turn them on. In other words, dogs watching TV equals people watching TV. And ratings would climb. (laughs) That's my premise anyway. She loves dogs. She loves those dogs, man. She even has a book. Uh, I'm butchering the title, but it's something about the lessons, the the things I've learned from dogs, sure. or something like that. Yeah, she yeah. loves dogs, and uh, God, I just want to read these books now. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I've I, I got to read the the cool, calm, and contentious one. That's the one that I've yeah. read back to front. Yeah, uh, I would love to go get back the to rest front. of it. Yeah, you I read, read it, it like a manga. Uh, I read it back <laughs> to front and then front sure. to back, and then sure. I flipped it upside down and tried to read it upside down <laughs> too, great. just so I get a really good comprehension of what she was talking about. <laughs> Look at yeah. these hieroglyphics. Yeah, I read yeah, it like sure. four different ways. Uh, I read it in the mirror, you know, everything. <laughs> so, uh, a good, a great connection for something that like affect affects me as far as like comedy goes was uh, early Adult Swim creation. It was created by a guy named Mike Lazo, and Mike Lazo has no affiliation with the David Letterman stuff, but he creates this Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which is in oh. the essence of Letterman and you know Johnny Carson. It's this yeah. uh, they take all these animation and stuff from this original show. 
uh, I want to guess uh, it was a Hanna Barbera creation, and yeah, it was this Space Ghost. Space mm-hmm. Ghost. Sure. So they take it and they take a lot of the animation, and it's the first. Nowadays, it's it's common. We've seen it in a lot of places where they take an animation and they turn it into something new, mm-hmm. new content. Mm-hmm. But at that time, that was. I mean, you're talking about the oh, early '90s. It was. So yeah, that's that's prolific. That we was, didn't know what we were getting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When that thing came on, you're like, Space Ghost, who the, you know. And, and it then, wasn't long. The, the, the Each episode is only 15 minutes yeah, long, so it's yeah. just a real fast, like, real quick jump into it. Well, that was Cartoon Network's thing. They had all these fast-paced, you know, jump-around shows and stuff, and I, I had no idea she had anything to do with Space Ghost. That's crazy. Yeah, she did uh, two episodes of Space Ghost. She was actually a, 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 a host, uh, not a host, a guest, guest sorry. She oh, was actually okay. a Space Ghost guest, and Space Ghost, like, flirts with her or whatever <laughs> in it, and she flirts back, so sure. it's really funny. Sure, Is this the beginning of the interview? Do you like interview? toast? Hmm? Do you like toast? No. Uh, Brack? Is that the... Brack, yeah, the Brack yeah. show. You got Brack and Zorak and Well, uh, I'm Maltar. just saying Brack was, yeah. the, Brack was Paul Schaefer. Yeah, 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 Brack yeah. was Paul Schaefer. But a bug who wanted to kill you. Sure. No, 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 the other way around. Oh. Uh, Brack was the big cat. Zolt, uh, uh, Zoltar or whatever. Zoltar. Uh, Zorak, Zorak. Zorak there was the go. Paul Schaefer. He was the guy, the, he was the band guy. That's right. Brack yeah, was yeah, the guy yeah. who had the mask on. Kind of looked like a predator. Yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was Not a, a big cat. Predator, he, yeah. Predator, predator. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. a big cat. Yeah. Was he a cat? Yeah, they're big cats. Huh. Okay. That's what they are, yeah. All right. Because uh, whenever he gets his own show, mm-hmm. you get to sit, meet his mom, which oh, his mom yeah. is this huge cat thing, and his dad is this he's, short Hispanic guy. He's so stupid, too. It's such a great show. Yeah, it's a wonderful show. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. So she, uh, she, I, she's a guest on this show. Next, yeah. yeah, Space Ghost. Oh, I've already started watching it. It's on uh, HBO Max for Has everybody that, that wants uh, to watch that in its entirety. Us, its entirety. Really? So, yeah. And they got the whole show there. That's fantastic. So you get a few episodes of Space Ghost Coast to Coast <laughs> that were written by late night writers Steve yeah. O'Donnell and Spike Fairstein, I think is his name. Spike Fairstein. Yep. I so, have seen that. Now, he had his own show on USA for a while. Yeah, he had his, his own show too. So Spike, No, it was on the Spike Network. Spike. It's when it was called Spike. Now it's Paramount Plus or whatever. But yeah. originally it was Spike and it was like TV for men. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, Spike TV, TV yeah. for men. I remember that. Yeah, yeah I remember and that. And Spike Ferriston had a had a show on there, and he was great. He was great, but it just didn't. It didn't. Yeah, last. it didn't last. I've seen him host a couple of. Wow, things so since. he started Spike TV then. No, no, they just happened to stumble oh, across okay. a guy named Spike for their Spike Network. Oh, okay. Yes. I thought I thought he had no. It. Okay, no. well, either way, those two guys were David Letterman writers and O'Donnell, and- fantastic. They had uh, they didn't write a lot, but they wrote a few episodes. Sure, sure. There was one episode that uh, is called Late Night. Is the name of the episode I want to say, okay. and it's specifically is satire towards David really? Letterman's Late Night Show. Oh, like they great. wrote it just specifically for yeah. that. So yeah. that was cool. So yeah. So after this is she just in this whole time frame she's writing books. Mm-hmm. She has like four the the best that the only ones I'm going to talk about, but she, she had four specific ones that were humorous essays. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where her comedic chops really stand out because it kind of, I mean, kind of chops up through her life instead of just focusing on one story. Well, she does write stories from the perspective of dogs too. She has two books that she wrote from the perspective of dog's point of view. I I don't think her dogs, but a dog, like like, like the story. Yeah. And, uh, 
She the, actually goes on to do a uh, an Audible original podcast, which is why I was late. Mm. Was I was I got kind of wrapped up into listening to it and uh, her. When he, when he says he was hilarious. late, it was like two minutes. Well, I mean, it was literally two. Late minutes. is late. Yeah. I think being late is an extreme character flaw, <laughs> and people who are late are generally pieces of shit. Says the guy in the Pulp Fiction shirt. Yes, yeah, says yeah. the guy in the Pulp Fiction shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so. Uh, you get this audible thing called the indignities of women. And her description uh-huh. of it is the hideous history of women being fucked over since the dawn <laughs> of civilization. Oh, wow. As we search for the answer to the question, how did 51% of the population become a minority? Wow. And that's, uh, that's pretty much like the, like the most current thing that she's done really is, is that podcast yeah. or not podcast. Sorry, but that audible book, it's just, it's, I don't think it's even written. I think it's just straight audio. Really? And uh, she does the performance of it herself. She's the one that does all the reading of it. Oh, that's super and, cool. And, uh, man, it is true history of how women have been slided through history is really? what it is, is what they explore. Yeah. Like I said, it's the the 51% of the population becomes a minority because, uh-huh. you know, they are a greater part of the yeah, population. Sure, sure. That's how we continue to have human beings <laughs> existing yeah. is because they do dominate I was going to ask you about that, how that's happening. But, yeah, yeah I yeah, appreciate yeah. you letting me know. Of all the mystery and wonder and beauty on this earth Nothing can compare To the miracle of birth Well, your cervix has been closed And plugged with mucus But soon that viscous plug Will be discharged It's called the bloody show And explosive diarrhea Means that labor's drawing nearer And those sharp, painful contractions cause your cervix to enlarge. Beautiful. Yeah, so... (laughs) (laughs) So it's really funny, you know, how they explore that because she is a slided woman in her field. Sure. And I don't think there was enough recognition. Well, in her personal life, in her her professional life, you know, both. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so in 2001, she ends up finding a new love. Uh, in his name is Andy Pryboy and he is uh, a singer songwriter and they actually co-author a book called the psycho X game. Okay. Which I never really explored too much into that. I'm Uh, I'm wondering if it's just about X's. Yeah. I don't know because she, I mean, she had uh, Uh, what could be considered a psycho X, but I don't think he was a psycho X uh, like in the sense of stalking. He's got to be nuts. He he was, but he was nuts. Uh, Well, Again, they would probably have lasted and they would mm-hmm. still be together now, if not, because like you had said or alluded to anyway, the tension yeah. of the, the the interviews with them on, on his show, which she went to go promote her new stuff at that time. She was promoting her books and stuff on David right. Letterman's show. Right. And you could feel the, if the, the, not only the, you could feel the sexual tension, you mm-hmm. could cut it with a knife mm-hmm. in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could feel that definitely there's still like an emotional connection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And like personally, you know, just for the, uh, uh, for the white bitch in me, like <laughs> I am like curious <laughs> to how their relationship would have been yeah. if they wouldn't have had this show in their way. Like how, if, if, if they really loved each other and the show was the thing that stopped them from being, being mm-hmm. and, and how much could they have created together? Cause after the show, that's it. Yeah. There is no Meryl Marco and David Letterman creating anything outside of that. That was it. That was their child. Mm-hmm. That was their baby, if you will. The thing that kills me is whenever she comes out for these Letterman appearances later for the books and stuff, just the long hugs and the, the, 
the whispering between the two of them before they go on stage and stuff. Oh, it's and just, the, like the, the collar yeah. pull, the, the yeah. Glue, yeah. you yeah. know, the, yeah. how yeah. David Letterman is. He's she all, knows all his moves. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And he's, yeah. and, and when she comes out, he's all the, uh, 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 Meryl Marco, the, the, uh, the <laughs> you can tell, love interest. Uh, you, you can, you can definitely tell that he is a little bit on edge about her showing up. How are you? Good. Nice to see you. Thank you very much, Paul. How, how was your weekend? Did you have a oh, nice weekend? Oh, it was a beautiful weekend. Now, let me ask you a question. There's no reason you should be, but are you a little nervous about tonight's program? I, I can feel the tension in the air. Oh, I'm a little nervous. Why is that? Well, because of uh, Meryl. Meryl Marco. Meryl Marco, who uh, she and I, uh, yes. I don't even know the word. How do you, what are the, what are, what are the words I'm looking for here? <laughs> we were an item at one yeah, time. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were, uh, she was uh, in, uh, then together like that. The two of you were. Well, not exactly like this, but. Uh, <laughs> the, the two of you were involved. That's right, and, and, and worked together also. For a long, and she long was time. the head writer that, that's right. on this show. Thank you very much. Uh, do I need an interpreter? And anyway, <laughs> I thought you might. Uh, so I haven't seen this woman in quite some time. Yeah. And uh, tonight will be the first time I've seen her in quite some time. Did I mention that? Yeah. <laughs> and as, as a result, as a result, it's I'm a little, it's a uh, you know makes me just a little. And, and it's good to hear that you're a little that way yourself. Of course. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, steam um, poured out of his ears. Yeah, because he's like, he, he doesn't know exactly how it's going to go. And is she, uh, the one that I watched, uh, she told a story. She's talking about how um, uh, she can't find any love songs with the name Meryl in them. And so um, she she finds uh, this thing in the back of a magazine that says, send 40 bucks uh, to have a love song recorded with your name in it. And so she goes, you know, for 40 bucks, you get three Merrills. And Letterman pipes up with, well, yeah, that's about what I used to pay. Now, what I liked about this when I sent away for it was that I realized that some guy was going to have to get fully dressed in a suit and drive across town and have to sing my name into the record a couple of times. Actually, you get three Merrills for 40. <laughs> and, uh, that's about what I used to pay. <laughs> Which, you know, the whole place just erupts in laughter. Yeah. And you can just see her, her inner... Just going, oh, you son of a, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. she pulls out this piece of paper and starts reading it. And it says, like, October 26, 1983, Dave came home and he was mad again about the show possibly being canceled. So she's literally reading out of her diary. Yeah. And he's like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's listen to your story or whatever. You know, he immediately he clears up. Which uh, the graphic novel that I alluded to earlier, that has to uh, do with her early writings in her diary, actually. Oh, really? So it's it starts off, she said, I think her diary starts... Uh, in Miami, Florida, when she was young, yeah. and uh, so she keeps up with this diary all these all those years. Huh. And uh, I think that's what that book's about, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm pretty sure cool. her graphic novel is like her exploring her early diary, which uh, I'm I'm gonna buy it. So I'm, I'm probably yeah. gonna go buy it as soon as I leave here. Actually, I'm gonna I really uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go see if I can find a physical copy now, and I don't have to wait for it. Sure. But uh, I was really interested in that because you've been warned, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, you've been warned. I didn't really get to dive too far into her art history of her life. Yeah. And uh, it's out there and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's explorable. And I just didn't get to explore that because we're talking mainly about the TV. That's what we're here for is mm -hmm. TV, not, not for art. You know, the TV, not art. Yeah. I get it. TV's not art. <laughs> um, TV's toilet. The thing, <laughs> toilet the, art. the thing, toilet art. Uh, the thing I love about her is um, just the uncomfortableness of her presentation. She is, she obviously doesn't want to necessarily be in front of the camera. Yeah. But it's almost like, 
uh, well, if I got to, you know, and so she shows up to, to yeah, promote absolutely. her books and stuff like that. But just the uncomfortableness of being there, but still being able to tell a joke. And I think a part of her uncomfortableness is a part of the act. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think it's a part of the act, too, because uh, she always wants, you know, her own something. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, her uncomfortableness in everything that she does that you see, because you see, she looks uncomfortable just about everywhere she's yeah. at. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's just a part of the act of the comedy. That's a part of the her, her you know, her comedic chops, because she is a prolific writer, yeah. for sure. So Very, even, very talented human. Even prolific writers... They're funny, yeah. You know, even if they don't know how to uh, deliver, they're funny. They're sure. still funny. Sure, you, you can't take away their humor. Harvey Pekar, and, and yeah, Harvey Pekar. <laughs> uh, I mean, Andy Kaufman. You know, yeah, they're all they're, uncomfortable. They're they're, they're yeah. super uncomfortable. Andy Kaufman. Even when I watch Andy Kaufman today, I feel a physical discomfort. Oh yeah, like Absolutely. you're like wow, this like I could not imagine being there in the audience, just thinking being in the that room. you're getting yeah. this person yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah. And then he sits down and he's doing this little cough mm-hmm. and he gets up and goes and starts begging for change in the audience. <laughs> and that's what Meryl Marco actually uh, uh, talks about in, in one of the articles that I read about her. She actually uh, alludes to the Andy Kaufman. She says uh, the cool thing about that, she says that's one of the one of the few uh, clips that plays over in my head is that Andy Kaufman thing and how the audience reacted. She said just the, just to be able to get that out of the audience was insane for them. Mm. And she's actually in that episode. Whenever they pan the camera, you can see her standing by one of the stage doors. Really? And that's what she was like, oh, it's, I'm actually in the show. So uh, she has a few of those memories. And she says yeah. they might not be prolific, huge memories in yeah. the, uh, as far as TV history goes, mm. but they're things that always stuck with her. And that was, that was one of them was that Andy Kaufman thing. Uh, <coughs> so anyway, um, if anybody could, I, I know this sounds like a cliche, but uh, if you could, any extra money that you have, I would appreciate it. can't even you know i don't want to call it luck necessarily because it's all hard work but just just the oh there's an element of luck the the amazing fact that you were around for all of those things to happen you know it just i can't even imagine being in the room when things happen that will be part of television history from now on yeah absolutely she was there for all of it she was there for a lot of great stuff and if she wasn't like attached to great projects she was there with the same people that were attached to great projects she was attached to a great project obviously but you know not everybody around was but everybody had like a a finger in something somewhere Mm -hmm. you know and it's crazy to see that might have been the problem yeah that's That's why they broke up yes yeah everybody had a finger in something that that was a lot of the problem actually it was the 70s 60s free love (laughs) and that was uh it's actually funny because uh like like, we were discussing earlier she was a part of a lot of the counterculture stuff she was a part of black panther rallies yeah. and uh, she was at the altamont speedway free festival and she 69. looks like a black panther yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so she was at all these like counterculture events but the funny yeah. thing was is that she says 
I always left early because I couldn't stand the smell of patchouli <laughs> and I hated the free form naked dancing. So, so well, she was like she, she, dry from day I, one I all am, the way through. I am a kindred soul with her then because I couldn't, I couldn't stand there for that either. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that, that's Meryl Marco. I can barely stand a handshake. So yeah, you know, actually yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't be in a patchouli. Yeah. Patchouli. There's something funny about the word patchouli. Yeah, that's one of those funny words. If you say it a hundred times, it doesn't sound yeah. like a real word. Massapequa. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I I really appreciate you again doing all the research on this. Um, oh, it was nothing. Just watching Meryl Marco, you can tell that that is a funny, funny person uh, who maybe didn't always know how to get the funny out. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, through her dogs and through her writing and all that stuff, you know, I feel like she may have gotten the funny out. Yeah, she got it out. I feel like, yeah. uh, she, well, I mean, if, if she didn't get it out, David Letterman put it out there for her, it's for true. sure. It's true. But it, it's, it still is crazy to me that her career with David Letterman was only, you know, yeah. X amount of years. She wasn't even on the late night show for 10 years. Right. She was only there for, I think, like six years with that. Right. And uh, Well, and it's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the relationship imagine. was strained. So that was all the relationship was every day, all day long is David Letterman, David Letterman, David Letterman, I don't, David Letterman. I don't mean to to toot my own horn here, uh, which my exes would not do. But uh, I've got a couple of exes that, uh, boy, if they showed up on a billboard, I would be in trouble. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if they'd be in trouble, but I don't know if... Uh, I feel like it would be offensive to oh, to, to people's eyes to God. see some of the the hideous things that I've associated <laughs> myself with over the That's years. Right. I don't want anybody reading a diary. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. Well, Meryl Marco, congratulations on a wonderful career and just being a a wonderful, funny human. Yeah, absolutely. Hats um, off. Thank you for providing what you did and what you still continue to provide. Oh, absolutely. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah she's great. Uh, I'm glad that we got a chance to explore such a yeah. prolific part of David Letterman's career. Yeah, sure. Literally without Meryl Marco, we don't have He wouldn't be what he is. The foundation and the pillar yeah. of what would eventually be yeah. David Letterman. It's amazing. All right. So uh thank you all for joining us. We uh we had another good time just talking about Letterman adjacent stuff this time, I guess, with Meryl. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well no, that's not Letterman adjacent. Letterman was inside Meryl yeah. Marco, like a part Ooh, of each other. I don't other. like that phrasing, but okay, Yeah, yeah, I don't sure. like that phrasing either. <laughs> they were a part of each other at one point. So Yeah, uh, it was two, two souls making the same thing, I guess. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but if you want to uh, if you want to find out more about us or uh, listen to other shows on the network, it is roguemedianetwork.com. And uh, I guess we'll see you next episode, right? Absolutely. I, I question that because I don't know if anybody wants to hear it. But uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know if they're going to have a choice. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Listen to it. Hey, thanks for joining us on Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. I am Mike. And I'm Rusty. And join us next time for another episode of The Man from the City So Nice They Named It Twice. Wake the Kids at RogueMediaNetwork.com. Excellent. And we will see you next time. At the David Letterman Tribute Podcast. Okay, good enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Wake the Kids, Phone the Neighbors. This is not a competition. It's only an exhibition. Please, no wagering. <laughs>